You're listening to the Pilot Photog Podcast. I'm your host, Juan, also known as Tog. Let's listen to the story of one of the longest-running fighter programs ever, the F-5. The Northrop F-5 Freedom Fighter is a small, highly aerodynamic and maneuverable jet, which was built around two compact and high-thrust General Electric J-85 engines. The F-5 was designed from the ground up to be an easy-to-maintain, simple-to-fly, and inexpensive multi-role fighter. With its origins dating back to the 1950s, the F-5 has stood the test of time. It has become a popular export aircraft still serving in the air forces of several nations and still in use today by the United States as an adversary or aggressor aircraft. This is the first episode in a multi-part series on the F-5. Today, we'll be taking a look at the first two variants, the F-5A and B, also known as the Freedom Fighter. Here are some quick specifications for the F-5A. Length, 47.2 feet. Height, 13.2 feet. Wingspan, 25.8 feet. Maximum speed, Mach 1.4 or 925 miles per hour. Empty weight, 8,805 pounds. Maximum takeoff weight, 20,677 pounds. Engines, each General Electric J85 engine generates 2,270 pounds of thrust dry or 4,080 pounds of thrust with afterburner. The F-5 has two internally mounted 20mm cannons in the fuselage nose and can carry two heat-seeking Sidewinder missiles on the wingtips. Additionally, the F-5 has five pylons which can be used to carry up to 6,200 pounds of ordnance or fuel tanks. Loads can include four more air-to-air missiles, air-to-surface missiles, bombs, unguided rockets, or external fuel tank. During the Vietnam War, F-5s were evaluated with virtually every weapon system of its time and pilots, along with forward air controllers, reported that the jet was fast and possessed uncanny accuracy for delivering bombs on target. The choice weapon during that war was the Mark 117 750-pound bomb, which could destroy just about any target it was tasked to suppress. Development By the mid-1950s, the Air Force had developed a pattern of creating bigger, heavier, and more expensive fighter jets. Edgar Schmood, then VP of Engineering for Northrop, decided to reverse that trend. Mr. Schmood was uniquely qualified to do this, having come from North American Aviation, where he designed both the legendary P-51 Mustang and F-86 Sabre fighters. To break that trend, he assembled a dream team of engineers. Their requirements were daunting. Produce a fighter that had high performance, enhanced maneuverability, be highly durable, and still be less expensive than contemporary fighters of the time, such as the F-4 Phantom. On top of this, Schmood also required that the new aircraft have engineered growth potential to allow for upgrades that would extend its service life for over 10 years. This is hard to imagine today, since modern airframes have service lives that are measured in decades, but back then it seemed like aircraft were being replaced every few years, which ultimately would prove to be financially unsustainable. The requirement for design prolonged modular upgrades in an aircraft was a relatively new concept at the time. Key to the success of the new fighter would be its engines. Schmood wanted the latest, most advanced jet engines available at the time, and the General Electric J-85 fit the bill perfectly. The J-85 was developed to fly McDonald's ADM-20 Quail Decoy, which was small enough to fit in drones and missiles. 
Additionally, the J85 also had an engine thrust-to-weight ratio of 6.25, which was higher than the 4.7 thrust-to-weight ratio found on the F4's J79 engines. Keep in mind that this thrust-to-weight ratio is only for the engine itself, not the engine and airframe. The chief engineer on Smooth's team was Welko Gassish, who was influential in convincing Smooth that locating the engines inside the fuselage would result in maximum performance. Along with this, Gashus also contributed greatly to the engineered growth potential by introducing the concept of life cycle cost into the process, which catered to the F5's long service life and low operating cost. This was summarized beautifully in an internal Northrop study that stated, the application of advanced technology was used to provide maximum force effectiveness at minimum cost. The actual design effort began officially in 1955, from a Navy requirement that a new fighter be developed which would be capable of operating out of smaller escort carriers, as existing fighters were too large and heavy. Northrop's entry into this requirement was given the internal designation N-156, and while the Navy ultimately withdrew its plans for an escort carrier fleet, Northrop continued with their design efforts. Several N-156 variants were also considered. For example, the N-156TX had engines mounted in two underwing pods and had a crew of two seated in tandem underneath a shallow canopy. The N-156NN was the escort carrier version and was similar to the Grumman F-9F. The N-156T was a two-seat advanced trainer variant, and the N-156F was a day fighter version which proved to be the final design configuration for the F-5. The N-156T was selected by the Air Force as a replacement trainer for the T-33 in 1956 and in 1959 the N-156T performed its first flight, where it was designated the YT-38 Talon. Ultimately, over 1,100 Talons would be produced, ending production in 1972. The Talon is still used today and will be the subject of its own upcoming episode. Meanwhile, the N-156F would continue to be developed privately by Northrop and was about to get its first big opportunity. In an effort to contain Soviet expansion, Congress enacted the Military Assistance Program, or MAP. The MAP put out requirements for a low-cost fighter which could be supplied to less developed nations. The N-156F was exactly such an airplane, and in 1958, three prototypes were ordered. In 1959, at Edwards Air Force Base, the first N-156 flew, breaking the sound barrier on its first flight. The testing showed that not only was the N-156F successful, Reliability scores were off the charts and it was even superior in the air-to-ground role as compared to the F-100 Super Sabre. Despite this, interest seemed to dry up by 1960. Interestingly enough, at this time the U.S. Army tested the N-156F for close air support and reconnaissance roles, and although the N-156F proved itself again in testing, the Army could not legally operate fixed-wing aircraft. That distinction belonged to the Air Force. There are actually photos of an N-156F painted up with U.S. Army livery. I'll leave a link in the show notes to my YouTube video where you can see that photo. At this point, it looked as if the already proven N-156F would fade into history as another hopeful design that was never adopted. However, in 1962, the requirement for a low-cost export fighter was revived. A new fighter competition was announced, which was known as the FX Competition which the N-156F won. As tensions were mounting in Southeast Asia, the N-156F was designated the F-5A. 
Production began that year, and over 620 F5As were built, along with 200 F5B two-seat trainer versions. Spain built an additional 70 F5s, while Canada built 240 Generation 1 F5s, both nations doing so under license. All told, over 800 F5As and Bs were built. The first export customer to have F5s built to their specifications was the Royal Norwegian Air Force. At the same time, the U.S. Air Force trained pilots and ground crews for customer nations as part of the 4,441st Combat Crew Training School. Additionally, F-5s were deployed to Vietnam to evaluate the aircraft in actual combat conditions. Although the U.S. Air Force did not intend to fully adopt the F-5 in large numbers, the move was seen as a political one to prove the effectiveness of the fighter as an export option to other nations. The Air Force initially selected 12 F-5s for combat testing and after being modified with aerial refueling equipment, upgraded armor and instruments, they were designated F-5Cs. The evaluation program was known as Scoshi Tiger and this soon became the F-5Cs nickname. The evaluation lasted six months where the F-5Cs flew over 2,600 sorties with only seven aircraft lost to ground fire. The Air Force concluded that the F-5 was an effective ground attack aircraft, its only drawback being its limited range if aerial refueling was not available. Following this evaluation, the Philippines acquired F-5s for their Air Force. By 1967, the South Vietnamese or Republic of Vietnam Air Force received F-5s which they used up until the end of the war. Other nations which used the F-5A or B in their Air Forces include Taiwan, Iran, Morocco, South Korea, Canada, and the Netherlands. So, what made the fighter that nobody initially wanted so good? For starters, the F-5 could operate out of very small or unimproved airstrips and was easy to maintain. Having been designed from the ground up to be worked on in the field as much as possible, the F-5 produced readiness rates unheard of for its time. Being easy to fly and highly maneuverable in a dogfight also contributed to its success. And lastly, being small, fast, and having two engines made the F-5 a durable ground attack and strike aircraft. In fact, the F-5 could take surprising amounts of punishment, with one pilot in Vietnam returning to base with 99 holes in his F-5, while another one flew home safely while missing both leading-edge flaps. Another factor in the F-5's legacy is its incredible amounts of variance that it has spawned. So many, in fact, that they will be the subject of upcoming episodes. For now, we can focus on a key feature that would go on to be critical in a future highly successful fourth generation fighter. Leading Edge Extensions or LEX Think of LEX as miniature wings that extend from the leading wing root and terminate near the canopy. Initial production versions of the F-5 had a small amount of LEX, and subsequent prototypes increased the amount of LEX applied. Ultimately, this led to the design of the YF-17 which itself then became the F-18 Hornet. So what do you think? Is the F-5 an underrated airplane? Should the Air Force have adopted more of them? You can tweet your comments to me at Pilot Photog. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. You can also check out my YouTube channel. Just search Pilot Photog, all one word. And lastly, you can find me in any social media platform at Pilot Photog. Be well. Stay safe and see you next time.